Hi, I'm Helena Cobbin, the owner of Just World Books. I'm happy to tell you that on May 19th, the company will be publishing its fifth title, a wonderful book called Food, Farming and Freedom, Sowing the Arab Spring, which has been written by someone called Rami Zureik, who is a professor of agronomy at the American University of Beirut, a very experienced rural development specialist, a prolific blogger, and also a committed social activist within his native Lebanon. Rami's book is extremely timely. In late February, it was almost ready to be published, but he and I decided that, in light of the dramatic, still unfolding events of the Arab Spring, we would hold the presses, reconfigure the book a bit, and add in a whole new chapter that contains some of his best blogged writings about the Arab Spring. We're hoping, obviously, that you will go out and buy the book. It costs $23.95. It's written in a lively, easy-to-understand way, and it gives you a lot of great background about the socio-economic situation and especially the plight of rural and agricultural communities in the Arab world that helps to explain the outpouring of anger and the strong calls for human dignity that we have seen throughout the Arab Spring. You can buy the book either through our website, www.justworldbooks.com, or through Amazon in the United States. If you're looking for it there, you spell Rami's family name, Z-U-R-A-Y-K. On our website, you can also find a lot of other interesting material about the book, including an excerpt from the great foreword that was contributed to it, by Columbia University's Rashid Khalidi. On Monday, May 16th, I was able to sit down with Rami Zureik for half an hour in Washington, D.C., and we had a conversation about the book and about several aspects of his work in Lebanon as a social activist. He had arrived in Washington just hours before, and the day before, May 15th, he participated in one of the largest civil society activities that Lebanon has seen in recent years, a massive popular gathering and festival jointly organized by Lebanese and Palestinian activists that brought 50,000 Palestinian and Lebanese people to a village called Maroun Ras near the southern border with Israel. They were there to mark the 63rd anniversary of what Palestinians call their Nakba, that is, the period when a large proportion of the indigenous Palestinian residents of the area that became Israel in 1948 were expelled or fled from their homes, and Israel has never allowed those refugees to return to their homes and properties since then. Some 300,000 of them still live today in refugee camps scattered throughout Lebanon. As it turned out, some of the younger Palestinians who attended the festival broke off from the main activities there and walked down a nearby hill to try to get near to the border with Israel. Some of them threw stones over the border, but all were completely unarmed. The Israeli troops on the other side of the border apparently had no non-lethal means of crowd control at their disposal. And according to Rami Zureik and other eyewitnesses, at one point, the Israeli forces simply started periodically opening fire on the unarmed youths. Ten were killed, and around 40 were wounded, 
some of them very badly. When I talked with Rani, he was still a little shaken by the tragic events he had witnessed just one day earlier. But he agreed to talk a little for our podcast listeners about what had happened there. Later, I'll be editing up and publishing the rest of our conversation, which was more strictly about the topic of his fine new book, Food, Farming and Freedom, Sowing the Arab Spring. But for now, here is the part where we talked about what happened in Maruna Ras on May 15th, 2011. You went down with how many other thousands of people to... 50,000. There were 800 Pullman buses, the big, big buses, bringing people in. People started coming at around 10.30 and kept coming till about 5. To a, a little village on the southern border called Marun Ras. Ras. And, and it's right on the border with Israel. Yes, yes. it's, it's uh, an, an, you know, across the border you can see Moshav Avivim, the Avivim, which is a, an early Moshav, and... Uh, and uh, the, it's on a hill. The place where this was taken, you know, the Maruneras Maruneras is a village on the hill, and we were in a big park on a hill. And what was facing. organized there? There was, you know, and, and who organized it? Tell okay. us all about it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let me tell you. This year, every year, we mark the occasion of the Nakba, the catastrophe, which was the displacement, the forced displacement of the Palestinian people and the creation of the State of Israel. This year was the 63rd anniversary of the Nakba. And this year, people everywhere in the Arab world decided to do it differently. In the same way as the Arab Spring brought people into the streets, in, in a non-violent, non-violent fa- fashion to demand their rights from governments, activists across the Arab world but especially in countries having borders, sharing borders with sharing Israel, borders with Israel and, and occupied Palestine, decided together to flock to the borders and make their voice heard. Returnees, you know, came out from the camps everywhere in Jordan, in Syria, in principle in Egypt, but then the Egyptian government at the last minute cancelled it, in Lebanon to go to the borders and show the whole international community and the world that they are still present and that their right of return was inalienable and non-negotiable. And so, and you know, I work as a social a- activist. I, I teach in the camps, computer, English language, etc. That's how I got involved. And so, um, people in Lebanon, civil society activists, youth organizations, conventional, traditional parties from the Palestinian side got together and formed a preparatory committee. And this committee organized this march to the borders. Of course, we could not march to the borders, so everybody took buses. And about 800 buses brought 50,000 people from all the camps of Lebanon to come and be within literally a stone's throw from Palestine. Once they got there, of course, the emotion was really too high. These are people who had, many of them had actually never left the camp, who have spent a life in one square kilometer 
in a refugee camp in, refugee in, camp. in another part of Lebanon Completely. that might be a little bit distant from the border. 200 kilometers, those who live in, 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 in the north. Many of them have seen their camp totally destroyed by the Lebanese army in Nahr al-Barid and have been brought in here to sit 500 kilometers away from Palestine. They could almost extend their arm and reach it. So they went down to the fence wanting to demonstrate and put the Palestinian flag on the fence. And the Israeli army shot them like birds on a wire. Every I was there, I helped bringing the wounded and the dead. How many people were killed and Ten wounded? Ten people were killed and about 40 people were wounded, some of them extremely seriously. Were they trying to go into Israel? No. There are two fences and there is a road between them. It's impossible to get into them. People, the Israeli army shot at people who are getting close to the fence. And sometimes it shot at people who were back, maybe 50 or 60 meters back. They just decided, picked one person. And everybody was an unarmed. This was a demonstration that was happening under one flag. No party flags, just one flag, the Palestinian flag. People who are wearing one hat, a white cap with the Palestinian flag on it. There were no partisan flags. Nothing could identify people in there. So it wasn't all a plot from Hezbollah or people are saying it was a plot from Syria? Syria has enough problem of its own, you know, in, in Syria now to be able to come and plot. But plotting for what? For and what is the point of the plotting? This is what we do every year. We mark the anniversary of the Nakba. And this year we wanted to march and make our, our voice heard. And we invited all the international media to come and f film, you know, take and, you know, the Palestinians shouting towards Palestine. We have the right to return to our land. That was the point of this march. There was no other point. There was, and look at the list of those who were killed. All of them are Palestinians. We, we know from where they are from, we know their names. Look at those who are, who were, out of the 40 who were wounded, there are about 10 who are Lebanese. None of them from the region there. All of those are people who wanted to go and demonstrate and touch the soil of Palestine. This is a very emotional moment for many people who have been dreaming and hearing about Palestine without ever being able to see it. Did it get a little bit, did it get a little bit out of control beyond what the organizers had? Yes, indeed. I was involved in organizing the media aspects. Mm -hmm. As I said, because I work in the camps and I was asked to come, especially that I speak English and French and therefore could communicate with the foreign media. And I can vouch that this was going to be going there and then having a festival close to the border while watching Palestine with huge loudspeakers aimed 
towards the border so that people even in the villages but certainly in the Moshav and, and, and uh, could hear that was the, basically the point. Loudspeakers with music and uh, yes. Well, at first they were, and, you know, the, the speeches, from... the unavoidable speeches, <laughs> you know, that which were boring as hell. And, and I mean, I don't think hell is boring, but but you know, they were very very boring, very classical speeches, mm-hmm. and it's very indicative that the youth started to move down towards the border during the speeches. I think this is a very interesting indication that you cannot control the Palestinian youth with big words. And they wanted to touch Palestine. I mean, those who died are what? You know, 17 to 23, 24. These are people who truly, truly have never even seen Palestine before. But once they saw it, they immediately wanted it. And people went without arms and exposed themselves to the shooting just for being able to come close to the land of Palestine. Seeing it from 200 meters was not enough. Seeing it from 100 meters was not enough. I asked people there, youth, and they said, coming close to Palestine is worth our life. Even if it is once only, if I can touch the earth close to the border, if I can take a stone from under the fence, that would be a stone from Palestine, and that is worth my life. They they were throwing some stones, right? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, there. Well, you know. Was this part of the plan? No, not at all. No, the plan was that I mean that to deploy the Lebanese internal security forces uh, just under the park and to prevent anybody from crossing. We had thought some people would like to cross, so there was barbed wire, and they went over the barbed wire, and there were internal security forces and later Lebanese army which cordoned off the area. But the Lebanese security forces started shooting in the air, you know, shooting in the air to, to, to try to push them back. Mm-hmm. But they were unpushable. They were, their resolve was unshakable. They wanted to go down to the fence, unarmed. So can we expect some more actions of this type from this amazing, large organizing network that you had to get 50,000 people. What, what happens tomorrow? What happens next week? I think now people are uh, go. I mean, this was a one-off. Mm-hmm. This issue of organizing for the march was a one-off. We organized for a march. That was an event to mm-hmm. mark the Nakba. The important thing about it was to test the ability of the various Lebanese and Palestinian civil society youth organization mm-hmm. to work together under one flag and one banner. And from your perspective, do you think it worked well? And I think it worked fantastically well. The, the ability to, 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 to come together under one banner, 